I was desperate, you know, at the time I was 17, 18, unemployed, you know, and I was desperate to, you know, to get a break. And I knew that if I did get a try, I would, you know, I would grab the chance. I think it was always going to be boxing. I mean, I stepped into the gym as a 10 or 11-year-old. Boxing just took hold of my heart straight away. I love everything about the sport of boxing. Hello, I'm Marie Crow, and this is We Become Heroes, the RTE sport podcast that explores how elite athletes and sports people reach the top of their game and the lessons that they learned along the way. My guest today is Ireland's most capped female rugby player, Lynn Cantwell. Lynn, you're so very welcome. Thanks a million for joining us, and you have the most amazing career. But I'm actually going to start with what you're doing now. So you are going to be the high performance manager for South African rugby. You've already started, actually. Um, what an amazing role. How did it come about? Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I started in January. And um, so it's kind of picking fast ever since January. But how did it come about? I think that, look, I, I suppose every every sport and every female sport is on its own journey towards progress um, and I think from a South African point of view obviously their men are, are one of the world and and their women's game has been has been largely kind of functioning but not necessarily having a, a specific direction and I think I think back in 2018-2019 South Africa sat down in line with you know whatever mandate whether it was true world rugby or you know their own aspirations for where they wanted the, the game to go and just try to understand what, what we need to, need to do to get there. And, and I think on the back of that and possibly in line with Rassi had moved from coach up to director of rugby and obviously had responsibilities for all of the games in South African Union um, and they wanted to truly understand what they needed to do from a woman's point of view to allow their, their women's game to progress. Um, and I think that kind of started the journey for them as to, well, what do we need to do? Who do we need to get to do that? What does that look like? Um, and then I got involved in that conversation, they they reached out and um, I said, look, I'd be delighted to help to try and guide you on on, on what we need to do, et cetera. Um, and long story short, it kind of led to me taking on the role um, a good while later and, and you know, here I am now. <laughs> so what's that going to mean for, for your life then? Yeah, um, so it's a four-year contract. I, I started in January, but I'm working remotely until... July and I'll move over there and that's in line with with COVID and visas so our visas are, are still sitting in two home offices that are that are closed um, and we will work remotely on, until July and ultimately the like the success of the role will be based on on the national team's performance but ultimately to in order for the national team to perform there has to be a huge strategic approach to the whole system because it like it's a very porous pathway um, in general like lots of sports and lots of countries the where they're at in their gender equality journey is is at different stages so i think we have to look at the whole system and the whole environment um, and to try and include women in rugby and um, so that's not just players that's you know coaches and referees and board members and, and media etc and um, so we have to look at it kind of strategically as to how we approach the whole system and philosophically as well to try and fully understand well what does it mean to be a, a woman's spring box like the, the female piece to it as opposed to just a, a player um, and design a system that truly speaks to the girls that are going to flow through it because I think we can create a system around you know a performance framework and um, that's 
and that's synonymous to any sport across the world. But if we really understand what's the reality for the girls, they're going to flow through that at a demographic level um, and design a system that, that, that speaks to them, then I think that we may have a, a more of an opportunity for success. And like the, the 2025 World Cup would be probably more of a World Cup that we be look and get a brochure for where we're at and obviously 2029 after that but as I said I have a four-year contract so we definitely do as much as we can in that time. Where do you think we're at just with women's rugby and development and the future? Yeah look I I, I think it's interesting because I think if you look at every I think if we look at every country now and capture where they're at I think that's probably reflective of their approach to date and I think that says a lot because I think the countries that are doing well are generally committed to doing well um, and I think the ones that are kind of fumbling around to try and understand which way to go, um, I think that's reflective of of their intention. But I do think World Rugby, you might have read recently, like just during this week, they announced their global competition um, that's going to start in 2023. And what that will look like is that on an annual basis, there's going to be three tiers of, of, of unions that play annually in the 15s game. So it's kind of going to be a mini World Cup every year for the next couple of years. And the reason behind that is to try and generate more international competitions, which will, because competitions obviously drive performance. So I think we want to see the standard of the 15s game globally push on over the next couple of years. And I think with that, you're going to see more visibility. With that, you're going to see more sponsorship connecting to the women's game. And I think that's really going to um, push things on. So that's most certainly driven by by world rugby and in line with that I see like a very very positive future but I think individually the unions have to take stock and really look to um what 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 does the future hold you know if, if you're a sport and if you don't represent society fully then you know what is your future so if you're a sport and you just focus on on your men's rugby or football or golf whatever it is and then you really have to think about like to what end so I'd be hopeful I think there's some great examples across the world and, and across sports that are that are that are really investing in their women's women's sport because they they believe that it has a massive future and they believe that sport should they should they should allow representation of sport for females and, and males equally um, but I think in, in the rugby situation I think world rugby are definitely kind of driving a lot of the um, the focus on the women's game for all of the unions. So with all that in mind then, and just obviously you are clearly a student of the game and a student of governance and a student of, of how um, associations are run as well. How are Ireland doing? Um, in general, Mary, or from a rugby point of view? From a women's point of view, a women's rugby point of view. Yeah, look, I, I think um, I think Ireland are, are doing are doing fine. Like they definitely invested more in the in the fifteens game of the last couple of years, and and through COVID, I know the girls are in are in camp lots, and and that's definitely a good commitment. They haven't qualified for the World Cup yet, and and that would be their their number one objective. Um, and obviously, we'd have to wait to see them on the pitch to see the the fruits of that loom. But I, I definitely understand that there's a lot of the gaps that have been that are trying to be filled in order to. Um, to go in that direction. I, I think we're, we're yet to see, like to visibly see a true commitment um, by Ireland into the women's game because I think it's got massive, massive potential. But yeah, look, let's see. Hopefully this year the girls qualify for the for the World Cup and and they're able to to get there and produce the goods on, on in the comp. Worst case scenario though, Lynn, if we don't get a clear commitment from the IRFU, what happens to the women's game? 
Yeah, look, it's so much of it's about leadership and and that that's not to sound hocus pocus, but like if you, I think when you see, like look look at Golf Ireland, for example, you know, Golf Ireland back five years ago um, and more than five years ago, you know, they truly looked at golf and, and that was two independent um, unions that, that governed men's golf and, and women's golf in Ireland. And they looked at it and men's golf was doing great, women's golf was, was doing well too, but they looked at it and said, you know, what do we want to look like in the future? What do we, what do we want our sport to represent? And when you look at it philosophically like that, you just, there's no question in it. You know, it has to represent everybody. And that's because it's fair, but that's also because you want to generate just more people coming through your door to play golf. You want more sponsorship to come through to represent both everybody in that sport, et cetera. And I think that's a really good example. So I, I think from a leadership point of view, if you don't get that and understand that vision, then I think everything that happens, some of it might do well, but otherwise I think lots of it that happened, that that lots underneath that that happens is, is always going to be a little bit clunky and never really true and inclusive. Um, and and I can't imagine that being massively successful. So I see I see a performance argument for it. I see a business arg argument for it, but I see it just a massive, massive ethical argument for it too so I'd, I'd hopefully I, I'd be hopeful most people see that too yeah hopefully because I do think that there needs to be some sort of a, a definite commitment to the future of the women's game I'm going to get into your career now Lynn and it has been an absolutely fantastic one what are your earliest memories of sport uh yeah like I am um, was fast and um, so I remember I went to primary school in Rollerstone Primary School in my local parish and on our sports days always kind of winning races and so on and my, my dad and my mom said look let's get her into an athletics club we were we were a Gaelic family Rollerstone um, and St Margaret's Football Club and uh, but I I just mom and dad brought me to Fingalian's athletics club and I just had the most amazing experience for for 10 years I was fast yes and I and I grew kind of stronger and faster but I don't remember the training like I remember just wanting to go training every day or every night and, and mom and dad bringing me there and doing you know the, the taxi service like every parent does with I was going to athletics and my sister was going to horse riding and my brother was going to football and um just we had amazing volunteer coaches in Fingalians and um, exposure to so many different types of people. You know, you had your long distance and your sprinters. We had Olympic Olympians. We had Paralympians. Catherine Walsh at the time, Paralympian, and she was in our club. And I, I think for 10 years, I'd had just a great experience of of sport and environment that that made me want to be there. Whilst I was still there, I was getting faster and stronger. And then I got to to twenty, and you know, I as a, from a, from an athletic point of view, I had all the raw materials to kind of do whatever that I wanted. I, like I went to college then in UL and uh, found rugby, and, and was lucky enough to find rugby, and had a great experience in Limerick as well. A very neutral environment from a rugby point of view, and it was just like open doors for for women. And I and I took to rugby there, and because I was fast, and the game was quite at a, at a low base, it just. Um, I, I just got spotted by the Irish coach kind of fairly early on and, and then the rest the rest is history. It sounds like you grew as the game grew as well, which is which was great. Um, so what about when you were looking up to people like your sporting heroes? Who were they? Yeah, like Mary Robinson was, sorry, Mary Robinson was a sporting hero, but like Sonia Sullivan and Mary Robinson were my two that I remember when I was a teenager, like 
Sonia, for obvious reasons, she's just the beacon of high performance, isn't she? Um, and like little did we know, and it's only now when we're a little bit older, obviously not too much older. <laughs> and now we realize the importance of visibility, whereas, so, you know, Sonia was was um, flying that flag when, when we were teenagers. And then Mary Robinson, like I just always reflect now on like she was our president when we were teenagers. How amazing, you know? <laughs> and she was uh, like a big role model for me when when I was growing up as well. And something I reflect on fondly. I actually met her once and I was kind of fumbling around in my mouth just to try and say, Mary, you're just amazing. Uh, but yeah, she was a fantastic role model from a leadership point of view. Yeah, she really was. It's You're right, though. It's only when we look back and realize that geez, we were so lucky to have them. Like, you know, we didn't even realize that um, they were our role models because they were just there. So um, yeah, we were, we're lucky to have pe- some of the, some people anyway. Um, so what about your talent, right? So you're obviously really good at athletics. You're really good at skating football, but when did you realize, okay, I'm actually all right at sport. I'm a little bit maybe better than the people around me. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think, um, like, I'm quite an intuitive person, and I think I've I understand that now as an adult. Um, and when I look back to as a as a kid, I was always liked fun. You know, I looked for fun. I was happy when I was having fun. You know, so I kind of fed off that. And and the things that generated fun for me I liked and I stayed in um, and athletics was one of them I think I was always yes like physically fast and played with the boys and played football and all of that stuff um, and I think because of that that probably generated enjoyment in, in what I was doing and because of that it allowed me me stay in it so I think um, yeah that was probably something that that like I reflect on back to, to when I was a kid and like what were the raw materials behind what yeah what has allowed me to kind of be be where I am today to be honest it's interesting because a lot of the a lot of the male athletes or even actually from some females from other sports when I ask them what other sports do they enjoy or, or play like some of them would just do the, the sport that they've done always but with rugby players because a lot came um female rugby players a lot came to the game a bit later in life you already had you had your Gaelic football and you had your athletics so there was loads of other sports that you enjoyed before you even found rugby yeah well that's it and you know you, you hear a lot of you hear a lot of females saying that I think because and it's probably reflective of the pathways that are there you know I, I think we take for granted that the pathways are that are there for male sports are very established you know there's an under eight teams and a nine teams and a tens team and an 11 teams as a coach to coach all of those teams and there's a competition for all of those age grades etc um, and I think it's important to recognize that you know those pathways are not always there for for females and yes they're emerging but I think we have to make sure we realise that if the, 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 the stage for the female sports is coming from is lower and as a result we have a responsibility to invest in that pathway in order for, you know, there's not, it's not just that there's not enough girls to play the elite sport, is that there's a lot of stuff that gets in the way of them flowing through that system and um, to play that elite sport. So um, I, I think that's an um, important one to reflect on too. Yeah, and, and like when we hear of girls playing with boys teams, we kind of nearly automatically make the assumption it's because they're really good. But the reality is probably because there just wasn't a team for them. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And I, and I think like it, it's great for girls to play with boys. And I think if the principles by which you operate your sport 
are based on developmental principles, I think that's fine. Like, you know, we know that girls can play with can play with boys completely until physically and, and in lots of sports, the physical piece doesn't even come into it physically until, you know, 12, 13. And after that stage, developmentally, you know, girls and boys are going to start separating. So I think I, I do question when some things happen in males and female sports um, that is unfair, that are not in line with developmental reasons. You know, we, we definitely shouldn't be separating girls or not giving girls as much opportunities as boys in, an, in amateur sports um, if there's not physical reasons to separate that. So, like, I think there's lots of insights we probably still need to understand more about the differences between girls and boys sports and then truly look at our systems and saying, you know, are we completely equal in how we're, we're providing uh, our sport to to Ireland and, and to the world because I think if we looked at it from that lens we'd probably see lots of inequalities. So when you found rugby or rugby found you and you were developing as a rugby player what areas of the game did you need to work on the most? Yeah like I am um, as I said I, I came into rugby as a fast athlete and that was my asset and um, I went on the wing and at the stage the game was that the ball never ever came out to the wing. So I think there was probably just a, a, that reason that I moved into the centre. So I moved into 13 and genuinely to try and get the ball more. Um, but again, relative to the age of the game and probably me developing, developing as a person um, and, and pulling on that intuitive link, um, I think what what I found that was happening was as a centre, I started to really focus in on my understanding of the game at a tactical level. Um, and now reflecting back on who like I am as a person and what I my strength was to the game, I think my strength was that I understood the game or learned to understand the game at a, at a tactical level and a kind of a mastery level. I'm not saying I, I mastered the game at all because I don't think you ever get there, but that's my interest in the game. That's what kind of kept me intrigued by the game was like, how do we outsmart defences? How do we find space? How do we win? How do we get better than that team? Um, so they were the kind of skills kind of more at a kind of decision-making level that I think that I honed. Um, yes, I was fast, but I probably didn't really use that as much as as I would have when I was younger um, and then and a lot of it was based around making decisions and putting other people into space because I'm not the biggest person in the world so I think those combinations with you know Jenny Murphy on my inside or Grace Stavitt on my inside and Eve Briggs behind me or Ali Miller coming coming in from the wing or Ashley Baxter or or bringing Claire Malloy into the into the game and and I think tactically that was my strength in trying to understand okay how do we get through that gap based on the defense that we have in order to use our strengths so we can score a try so I think that's kind of the the, the strength that I kind of focused on and refined as um, my career went on. So at what moment then you're 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 playing rugby and you're you're good at it and, and you're getting noticed at what moment did you or was there a moment when you went okay I'm you know I can make it as an international rugby player I can mix it with the best in the world yeah, and this is this is bonkers. Like, cause if you ask Fee Coughlin, like Fee Coughlin will know, you know, the plan and what we needed to do. And you know, I was definitely the one thinking, like, you know, really interested in how do we do that, and you know, how are the girls around us, and like, how can you be as good as you possibly can be as a person and a player, so that we can be together. You know, so that was kind of my mind. Um, so yeah, so there was kind of a funny, like I really didn't focus on the results because there was probably a little bit of 
scarring. You know, I didn't, we didn't win a game for six years at all. And then we started to win one a year. And then eventually, yes, we won the Grand Slam in 2013 and beat New Zealand in 2014 and did some really good things. But even when I reflect back in the Grand Slam, like I don't think I was thinking okay, we won the Triple Crown now, so we need to win this next game and then we need to win this next game. I was thinking, like, how can we get better? We did that and we could have scored that try and we misended it. Um, and even for the 2014, like, did we all really know how we were navigating that World Cup? I, I don't think we did, you know, because we were probably used to trying to just perform to get the result as opposed to the England mentality who are used to winning and, and take it for granted. So um, so probably, I think for me, and again, looking at me as a person, I think that's a coping strategy too. I probably reflected back when I was early in my career, I probably would have got quite nervous when I played. And I think one of the things I noticed is that if I focus on the game or focus on other people, then that helps me settle more. And that's probably what, what happened um, as the years went on. So, yeah, it might be a better question to ask me, <laughs> how do you plan your, your success? But that was my approach. So even like when you, I remember reading about your debut and you were absolutely hammered. And as you said, you didn't win a game for six years, but you, you keep playing all the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think I think that comes back to the environment too, you know. So yes, first game, 79-0 against England up in Worcester. Um, and I think at that stage we were in UL, we had an amazing team, UL Bowes. Ian Costello was our coach, who's the coach of Wasps now. We had 10 of the Irish internationals that were on that team, Patrick Kelly, Sarah Jane Belton. We had a really, really great squad. Um, we were playing with Munster and Leinster at that time, lots of the girls, and I think we recognise objectively that we had so much to improve on. And we, in a way, even though you're getting hammered by England and France every year, you use that as your barometer to say, well, how far are we, are we away now? So I think we, we connected to that kind of objective improvement at the same time as, you know, we're in college, we're having a great time. So there's all of that piece. Um, and, and like, I, you know, we feel very lucky that we got to achieve what we did do because there was lots of players along that pathway that came to the end of their career having not been able to achieve that success that were still, you know, carrying the same burden that we did, um, but we just managed to to get to get the wins and experience the success. So I think there's a piece of that that's probably a little bit of luck of, of age that we were energetic and you could endure it. Um, but yeah, and then hopefully, you know, you get to the end of that six years and you started to see some glimmers of success, which kind of keeps you going to the end. And we know as well that look when you're when you're a female or when you're a woman and you're representing your country and I think probably back when you were as well it was maybe different to what it is now but you know a lot of it is it's nearly costing you to do it and you know you're, you don't have the same resources you don't have the same um, structures in place you don't have the same supports like was that something that was playing on your mind like you're going into fight for a grand slam and you know that there is just equality inequality everywhere. Yeah, it is. And, and look, I think if I knew now what I, if, if I knew then what I know now, um, I think I, it would have been very difficult. You know, the reality of the, the size of the gear that we were wearing and where we had to stay before training sessions, some of the logistic routes that we traveled to get to places were, were just kind of off the charts. And there I think was a cargo train, wasn't there? 
Was it? Yeah, yeah. So that was the, the famous overnight, the 24-hour overnight train or 12-hour overnight train to Poe. We arrived into Poe seven o'clock in the morning before a game, having been on a train overnight and um, having travelled to, to Paris the night before for a game in itself was just bonkers to, to think that we we had to do that. Even But even before that, you know, we would have travelled to European competitions in France through Brussels um, to get trains down and things like that. You know, it's, it's like, it's funny at the time when you're just a kid, but you reflect back on it now and you just think, whoa, that was just kind of true inequality, you know? Because there was one video I remember seeing of you and it was after you'd won the Grand Slam and it was a homecoming video and interview and you had gone to, you were going to go home to London to work and you decided to fly to Dublin for the homecoming. And you'd yeah. paid for it yourself. You know what I mean? It was, I, and watching it now, it's it's really hard to reconcile how somebody who had achieved an amazing thing for their country had to put their hands in their pockets to get to their own homecoming. Yeah, I remember that because we had a great night out. Don't get me wrong, that after in Paris that night with all your tea crew as well, by the way. Um, but I remember like at about three o'clock in the morning going, God, I have to get up in two hours now because I've got to go to work. And I was a physio at the time. So I, and I knew I had a, a list of patients. So I got up at five o'clock the next morning and the girls obviously were going to be flying home that day. Um, and I got to the airport and I was like, oh God, geez, it'd be lovely, wouldn't it, to, to be there, to be with the girls. So I flew back to London. I was texting my boss on the way and I was like, you know, can I cancel my day? I was waiting for her to get back to me. And she was mad at me that I had to cancel the day, but, you know, she didn't understand. Um, and in the meantime, I took a punt and I booked a flight and it all worked out. So I got to the airport, I think about 11 a.m. in Dublin, I haven't flown to London. And then the girls just came in about half 11 and we got to be there in the airport together. So it was lovely. Um, so it is bonkers. It, yeah, it is silly. Absolutely silly. Uh, I suppose at, at that stage, nobody really understood a homecoming. Mm -hmm. Nobody understood the impact of it. Nobody had ever taken a photo before. We'd never seen a photographer at our games or anything. We didn't know the impact that it could have on young girls. So, you know, when we, you know, when I reflect back to when we came to Dublin Airport at that time and all the kids that were there, like, you know, the impact that that's going to have on them seeing girls winning the Grand Slam, coming, coming into Dublin Airport. Like I know, and I know one little girl that was there and, and what she's doing now and playing football and everything. And she's fearless knowing that it's possible. So, you know, I don't think we knew the impact um, that, that a homecoming or the visibility impact of it. Whereas if we did, then, you know, hopefully people would have thought ahead to say, it's important that these girls get a homecoming because of what they've achieved, et cetera. But so, you know, lots yeah. of learnings. And, and I think the hockey team of now, et cetera, will have learned lots from that. You know, Irish sport will have learned lots from that. Yeah, that's for sure. But at the same time, it's not a professional game in Ireland. You know, it's it's not, they're not a professional team. So it's 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 always going to be difficult to probably appreciate really what you're doing when you're doing so many other things outside it as well and trying to keep all the balls in the air because that's what these women are doing. Yeah, that's true. You know, and, and there's a piece around, I enjoyed being an amateur athlete because, you know, you you, you did keep your feet on the ground as a person um, and uh, as a result of that word. But I think what we're driving for is professionalism but what I would hope that professional female athletes and male athletes still stay grounded in 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 you know what what they represent I think what the fear is with with athletes getting something too quick um is that they don't appreciate the 
the the bigger responsibility that they have to to keep the sport alive and and to leave the sport in a better place that they arrived into it you know so i think from that point of view what what we achieved as female as as amateur athletes was great we really knew the impact they were having and i think role models now they 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 take that responsibility on and they realize the the importance that they have from a visibility point of view more so yeah, and I think probably now more than ever when we do need role models as well, there are a lot of them who are juggling the frontline work and the yeah. sport as well, which is pretty impressive. So a lot of people as well, Lynn, when you think of sport and careers and long careers have setbacks that they have to overcome. Did you have to overcome any in your career? Um, yeah, I, I I was talking to um, somebody about this the other day, actually. I think one of my strengths was that Physically, I was very strong, and um, and I and I based that on my athletics background, and I think that allowed me to to never miss a game. Like I never missed a game, and um, so I think that was one thing. So from that point of view, I actually respect so much the girls that have to come back, or the athletes that have to come back from injuries, because um, that's impossible. And I actually never had to 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 endure that. I I did I had got a funny story, a little one, but nothing compared to an ACL or a you know a neck injury or a surgery for for people that have to come back. But I I broke my back before the Rugby World Cup. So 2014, I myself and Claire Malloy were grappling. And this was only about three what two and a half months, well even two months before the World Cup, and we fell and I my back was sore and I was like, geez, my back's right. But it turns out I fractured it. Like I had two little cracks in my back and I remember because I was a physio and I and I knew kind of geez this is bad so I went for a CT scan and came back and I knew that if it was chipped or something that was gonzo but um, there was just two little cracks so I remember um, like telling Fee and telling Goose and the medical team knew etc and we were just like righto like let's just watch this and let's not tell anybody about it maybe it's going to be okay and I knew, I knew it's not unstable. It wasn't worrying if I could, I could get through it from a pain point of view. I knew that this was going to be okay, and I knew I could endure the pain piece. Um, and long story short, like after a couple of weeks, I started to move, and it was okay. And then the World Cup was looming. It was about kind of five weeks, four weeks, three weeks, and it was getting closer and closer. And eventually, it was good. When I got to the World Cup, I remember for the first time I I tackled feet just to see what kind of tackling felt like, and that went okay. And then the World Cup came, and it was fine, you know. But I think that was the only thing, um, the only setback I had. The real worry was that I'd missed that last World Cup, and I knew that I'd retire then. Um, but you know, thankfully, it was okay. It just the old broken back. That was all before World Cup. Not nothing too bad. Um, so when you look at your career and like all the different coaches that you've played under and people that you've met along the way and even just teammates, who do you think has had the biggest impact on your career? That's um yeah, that's that's really tough. Um like I, I have to look at our our group, um like Fee and Joy. And and Goose, our coach, like I, I think the strength of Goose when I reflect back on it is that he was a he was a big no people he wouldn't like me to say this, but like he was a dad, he was a good dad who looked after his team. Um and not that he had that relationship with everybody, he was quite strict. Um, but I think what I respect and what I think is important from a female athlete point of view is that he definitely flexed to female athletes he definitely 
understood and I've watched him evolve over the years as well and at the start he was very kind of black and white and, and hard and I think what he learned is females have to ask why they have to be involved in decisions and I think that's definitely a um, something synonymous to female athletes that you hear quite a lot so I think he got a lot out of our group but he definitely allowed us to make decisions he actually he allowed us to have an opinion um, and I think very much so peer driven and player driven teams there's a lot of great examples of, of how effective that can be. So I think the strength to him was that he allowed us to be part of the decision-making progress process. And I think that was a huge part of our success. When I look at like Joy and Fee, I just, you know, I love them so much um, as people and as players. And I love just the crack that we had, to be honest. Um, and, you know, were, were they role models? I think we, we needed each other for what we were trying to do. We supported each other in what we were trying to do. And we're three very, very different players but that allowed us to be a spine of a team. And then lots of other younger players came through to kind of fill another two or three of that spine of that team. Um, so I think they were they were kind of big influences in what I was doing. And, and as well, I have to look at management. You know, we never talk about the team behind the team and Gemma Crowley, Psycho, Rachel Reed is her name. There's lots of really great people in the past that kind of held us all up and, and did, did a great job. And, and lots of people in the past that, as I said, didn't get the recognition that they deserved. With the, they were doing the same stuff, but we just got managed to, to get the wins behind our belts. So when you, you take into consideration all that you were working towards and wanting to achieve, and especially you because you had such a holistic approach to um, what you were trying to do, Lynn, is there a performance that defines you and defines the team that you're a part of? Um, I, Although I think I look back on the Grand Slam as our most successful moment because it's you know part of such a story, I think... From a team point of view, our win against New Zealand was of most significance, I think, based on our team performance. And, and you asked about my performance. I think I gave everything in that game. I think I was really proud of the decisions that we made as a team and that I made defensively to stop things from happening and tries to go in. Um, I know that I made some lots of good tackles and I know my body like my body was broken after it for three days I remember I had an ice bath I had to say to Marion our SNC coach can I have an ice bath three days later which was the morning of our next game you know I was still recovering from that so I think for me like that was a a pinnacle a pinnacle game for me but as I said the Grand Slam for us as a team and a, and a story was was um was a big moment so was that your biggest success in that Grand Slam or, or even just personally, Lynn? Like what, when you look at everything that you have achieved in your life so far in your sports career, what, what is your biggest success? Oh, how's that? Yeah, like I suppose Barry will talk about our, when my daughter arrived and my son <laughs> arrived. You know, that's your biggest success as a mom. Um, but yeah, look, they were two big moments. Um, and I think for a couple of think objectively we never looked to the union for and um, for value uh, validation or um a pat on the back because we never got it um but i think when you win a grand slam you calibrate with men's sport you know because it's not yeah like that that's that's a measure of success and quality isn't it and when you beat new zealand and we're the first senior team first irish senior team to ever beat new zealand the under 20s had won as well and after our win the men obviously won and we all experienced that and were part of that which was wonderful too so i think those from a from a value point of view are are, are significant games 
but but then there was probably another two games that I remember us as a team growing in, and one was in the 2010 World Cup against USA, and actually against USA as well in in um, in the build up to the World Cup, where we as a team took a jump forward. But yeah, I think the the wins and the significance of it in the eyes of the people that you're you're trying to influence were were big moments. Lynn, just you said there you didn't get the validation of the union. Does that hurt? Did that hurt at the time? Yeah, like it did. Um, it did in line with it was just unfair and unjust. But um, when when I look to what that's taught me as a person, and you know what that's taught the girls, and and what that will lead on to, like I very feel very strongly, and I believe wholeheartedly that Irish women will, Irish women's rugby will be successful in the future, um, and it's definitely had a huge effect on me and my growth and what I've learned as a person. Uh, so yeah, in the absence or in the, in the, in the having experienced what we experienced, we'll, we'll gain more from it, but no, it's, it's not fair. Um, and no, it shouldn't be the way it is. You know, you should just look to um, athletes and, and to players and teams and, and, and want them to succeed and not put stuff in their way. You know, you should take stuff out of their way. <clears throat> so so yeah, but look, I, I think it's a reality for women's sport. You'd hope that it's not in the future, but just that's the era that we're living in. And you know, we're, I definitely want to want to try and right some of the wrongs in the time that I'm around for. I suppose. Look, I could be completely wrong here, but like where we are now, it's really hard to see if anything has changed. If that validation is there with the union and when I look at what you did and how the game has grown without that support, it's really frustrating because imagine what it could be like with a little bit more of a push from the people that should be pushing it. Yeah, that's it. And look, you know what, Mary, I, I don't know the realities um, there. I'm not close enough to it from, from the inside. Um, and, and I'm sure there's lots of things that have changed but I, I suppose you just reflect on if 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 you're serious about something, you 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 plan for it and you put the infrastructure in place for it, and um, at a at a board level and at leadership level, you, you reflect your intention throughout your whole org, don't you? So I, I think um, lots of sports have 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 made ground in that space, and lots of sports, like as I said, the golf example is a brilliant example of that, and. Um, and hockey, for example, too. And you'd hope that the sports that aren't um, aren't looking in that direction will will align soon. Because you know, I really think that the future of women's sports, of all sports, um, globally as well as as from a national point of view in Ireland, have such a such a such a a strong bright future. And um, like, yeah, like if you're not on that boat, you'll be left behind. You know. And do you know what? I think it's going to come to a stage where the associations and the unions that aren't on that page are going to have no choice because it'll be where the good things are, and they'll want a part. They'll want to part. They'll want to be a part of it. So they'll have to make the right changes and go in the right direction. So, Lynn, what do you think will be your legacy? Oh, geez. Look, I I would hope my legacy, I, and again, just thinking as a person point of view, like all the stuff that I've learned throughout the years, um, I really hope that we can role model as as, as women um, how we can lead by being ourselves. You know, I, I, I don't, 
over, over the years, you know, you tried to be this person or tried to be strong and hard, which, you know, wasn't intuitively, intuitively who I, who I am. Um, and I'd hope that we see a future in, in rugby and in, in female leaderships whereby women are allowed to lead authentically in line with who they are, as opposed to what society thinks a leader should look like. You know, we've seen loads of eras of females arriving up to lead in a in a suit and you know being really kind of hard-nosed and stuff like that but if, if that's how you lead, if you lead authentically great but if it's not then be who you are we've seen great examples of you Jacinda Ardern you know all these wonderful examples through through COVID where where female leadership is it, it just looks different and is effective and equally as effective and, and if not more so I suppose that's my legacy as a person I'd hope that that comes across to people um, and from a sports point of view like yeah you know what we've achieved from a rugby point of view and and I think definitely trying to get across that you know we're 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 lifelong participants of sports yes there's there's players but then there's beyond whether it's coach referee administrator board level whatever and and hopefully from my point of view it's working professionally in sport at, in a leadership position too and you know if if I can influence and other people to be able to do that too then you know I'd be delighted well, I know what's next for you. You're going to be heading to South Africa very soon to take up that role as, well, you're already doing the role as the high performance manager with the women's team. And I wish you all the best with that, Lynn. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat to me. It's been absolutely enthralling. You've had such a great career and you've got so much ahead of you as well, which is really, really exciting. So I hope everybody enjoyed listening and watching. Please like, subscribe and leave a review.